Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode because it is a solo one, but it really does have a theme. It's not about a specific thing, so it's hopefully a little bit more. We use evergreen, so it's something you can come back to. This isn't something you have to listen to tomorrow and get to it. So if if you're busy or whatever, you can save it, listen to, we'll do recap of the Clippers game, which is occurring tomorrow. That will be Wednesday's podcast. If you want to do that, you can save this for a later time. The only real piece of news is something that was an open question on yesterday's podcast that resolved in a way that makes sense, and that's what was happening with Elliot Williams, and Steve Kerr answered that today. Anthony Slater tweeted that he is still, Elliot Williams is still recovering from the knee scope that he had over the summer, and that it'll be a couple weeks more until he returns. So that surgery had been known, but I, I wasn't sure if that was the reason that he was out or anything like that. So to get that confirmation that he's a couple weeks from return is interesting. And also it's notable because of something that Bobby Marks of the Vertical brought up when I was discussing this on Twitter today, which is that Elliot Williams' contract guarantees right before the start of the regular season. So I'll give a little bit of an explanation here. So basically with contracts, a lot of it in terms of guarantees can can be negotiated. So that can be you can set different dates and things like that. Really the one that really matters that is hard line is January 10th of that season. That's when any non-guarantees become guaranteed. So even somebody who has, you know, just a fully unguaranteed contract if they're still on the roster January 10th of that of that season, they're good. And so that happened with Jared Cunningham this past year was probably the most notable example of that. And so what Elliot Williams contract does, because you can set any numbers, I think is a way of kind of forcing the Warriors hand is that it guarantees really early. So what that means is that if they have to make a decision to cut him or keep him at the beginning of at the beginning of this real season, of the beginning of the regular season, and they will not have much time to evaluate Williams. And he, he does have the largest of the partial guarantees for anybody on this roster, which is an indication that at least they're hoping that he makes the team, but that puts some real time pressure on them. And this goes into something I talked about a little bit yesterday, which is that if Damian Jones isn't ready to go at the start of the season, and if Kevon Looney isn't all the way right, maybe they're a little bit more focused on having a center or a big man in some form take that spot just because they might be sopping up some minutes. Or if Patrick McCaw continues to play well, maybe Bob Myers and company don't think they need Elliot Williams on this team and can either save that spot for something else or run through a few different people over the course of the year and then maybe get somebody when buyouts come in or something like that. There are a lot of options there, but Williams is going to have a very narrow window, probably a few games if it's if he's going to be out a couple more weeks to solidify or establish a place on this team. So that's really the only piece of news in this, other than the fact that the Warriors will play the Clippers tomorrow in one of only two preseason games at Oracle. So 
it'll be a little while after this because they play in San Jose later in the week, and then they're bouncing around to various locations, mostly in California, including they're playing in San Diego against the Lakers, which is pretty cool. But the rest of this is going to focus on a concept that part of the reason I'm doing it for Locked On is that I'd been battling over the last month for a way to write this. And over the last couple of days, realized that the best way to figure out how to write it was to actually talk it out. And so the process of working on making this a podcast really did help. And this is the idea of how you build a bench and how you build a rotation. So it's a topic that those of you who are familiar with my work, either in podcast form or in written form, I've written about this for The Athletic a little bit in terms of Kevin Durant. It's something I focus a lot on. It's how you build a team. And in terms of bench players, there are really two ideas that you can use. And they aren't, they're they mutually exclusive in a very specific way, but you can use them separately on different parts of the team. And those ideas are replacement and rotation. Those are the words I use. So a rotation is more of something where different guys either fill the same role or different guys play together in roles. And then rotation is more something like the stereotypical thing is the bench mob. So a team where five guys come in, they play together, and then they often come out together. And both strategies have merit. It's a fun thing in basketball because there are some weird truisms, if you want to call it that, in in, in the sport that there are no wrong answers with certain things. And the truth is that in terms of rotation versus replacement, sometimes there are wrong answers, sometimes there are right answers, but it really does depend on personnel and the situation, the coach, and everything like that. So it creates a challenge because you can't say this definitively one way or the other, except when given a specific circumstance. And the way that I like to think about when you want to use one versus another boils down effectively to three different characteristics, and that's what I'm going to focus on, using the Warriors as the main lens, but using some other ones as well. And those three things are chemistry, quality, and equity. I'm going to start with the last one first, because in some ways it's the easiest to understand. And that is that you can't really use a replacement system, so meaning take one guy out, put in the other guy, if the second person is really good. And that mean, the reason for that is because that player is going to be more deserving of minutes. And the most prominent example of that in the NBA right now is what's going on with the Suns, where the Suns have Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, and to a lesser degree, Devin Booker, who plays the two, but they have those guys. And you can't really run a replacement system with Brandon Knight because he deserves more than whatever scraps Eric Bledsoe has left over. So Bledsoe plays 35 minutes in a 48-minute game that only leaves 13 for Brandon Knight. So then you need to play him. If, if he's only playing 13 at the one, you probably want to play him a little bit at, at shooting guard. So then you, you're cutting into your rotation there and everything like that. The Warriors have an example of equity themselves, and that's with Andre Iguodala. And Iguodala is the guy who should have won sixth man of the year last year. Him sacrificing by going to the bench, while it has kind of led to a reduction in his minutes, that is also partially by design, because you want him to play a little bit less. But he is in a full replacement because he's far better than that. And so that's why you see things like Iguodala playing in the death lineup or whatever we want to call it this time. So that equity is very important to understand because in certain circumstances, it dictates it. Another one that was interesting tonight for those of you who watched the game was on NBA, uh, wasn't on NBA TV, but it's a, it's a situation that I've been following is the Nuggets. So the Nuggets have two centers that they really like, Yusuf Nurkic and Nikola Jokic. Nurkic was out most of last year. He was dealing with an injury. Jokic came in and was awesome. And so now they're figuring out 
can they play these guys together? Can they play them apart? So they're basically making this replacement or rotation decision on the fly in training camp with former Warriors assistant coach Mike Malone really having the decision there. And how they tried to resolve it today is that they actually started both of those guys. And so we'll see how that works out. But so equity, while I listed it last at the beginning, it is it is important to consider because it also explains some of the more fundamental structures that exist in this area. Because if a guy is just too good to be a backup, then you figure out a way to make it work. So then the other two places to go are chemistry and quality, and those really do run together depending on the circumstance. And so chemistry is a fascinating one. So so it means a couple of different things, but the main idea of it is, does a group of players fit well together and do they make each other better? So if we're talking about a starting group, so a starting five is probably the best example of this, do those five guys work as a unit? Do they have complementary strengths and weaknesses? Do they mesh, you know, a good offensive defensive unit, all those, all those sorts of things. And the more chemistry they have, the more likely you are to try to keep them together. And the worse chemistry they have, the more you're open to a stagger. And an example involving a current warrior with this was part of the reason for the Westbrook Durant stagger. Why so many of us lambasted Scotty Brooks for not doing it is that Westbrook and Durant, as great as they both are, didn't really have that kind of chemistry because they weren't in a system that allowed them to cohabitate. It was more like they were taking turns. So they didn't even reach the level, let's say, that C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard did for Warriors fans. You can notice last year in the playoffs where they both are more active off-ball to really make it work. So the chemistry issue wasn't as strong for them. So going to a stagger where you play them together fewer minutes works. And the proof was really in the pudding there where they were worse when one of the two was out, especially because they had inferior replacements, but the team did pretty well. So that goes to the idea that their chemistry wasn't great. So it led them in that direction. The converse of that is a lot of different things on the Warriors, but the most obvious one is one that people don't usually think about, which is Draymond Green and Stephen Curry. Draymond is an awesome player. He is second team all defense. He is an all NBA player on his own merit, but playing with Stephen Curry makes him substantially better and Curry playing with Draymond helps as well. And the high pick and roll that uses both of them is so important because it is something that capitalizes on both of their gifts. And many people focus on Draymond's passing as being a big part of why that works, because if Curry gets doubled, you can give the ball to Draymond, and whether you want to call it a four-on-three or a three-on-two, he does a great job of capitalizing on that advantage. And I don't want to discount that. It's very important. But the other aspect of that, beyond Curry's brilliance as an offense player, is also that Draymond is a really good screener. And Green's ability to screen forces the defense to make these choices and to make these functional doubles and to send extra guys. And that will be a big question about how the Curry-Durant pick-and-rolls work is, will the theoretically reduce separation because he's not as good of a screener as Draymond, will that hurt Curry's ability to create separation and change some of these opportunities? It's still impossible to guard, but it could be a little bit more feasible depending on how the screens work. And so last year, this happened a fair amount where you would see Clay get staggered from Steph and Draymond. And the reason for that is that Clay is more capable in a way. The, the discrepancy is smaller between when he plays alone and when he plays with, with Steph. And he also did a phenomenal job in the Portland series in particular of being a higher usage offensive player. And I, I fully admit that he did better in that role than I ever expected. 
expected. So Clay fits in a little bit. Well, he has great chemistry with Curry. So you're comparing good and great or great and elite. He is a little bit down. And that's part of the reason why the Warriors kept more of the continuity with with Green and Curry than with with Clay Thompson and either one of them. So that's something to consider as well. So the chemistry thing is is really important because that affects how teams think about themselves. Also, the core idea of uh, any team's best five guys is very important in this. And you see a lot of NBA rotations working with this idea of, okay, well, we need to set it up so that our, our best five-man unit is at the bare minimum what closes the game. Because for some teams, it's not necessarily what starts it. And that's actually going to be one of the biggest challenges for Coach Kerr this season. It was also a little bit of news today. The first person I saw tweet it was Brian Witt, who writes for the Warriors, about how much they're going to play Draymond at center lineups in the regular season. I believe he said ten. Coach Kerr told told them 10 to 12 minutes a game. That's significant because it's more than I thought. And so that gets into this idea and that will affect the rest of the rotations, as, as I mentioned going forward. And so that's two of the three ideas, chemistry and equity. And the third is extremely important, and that's quality. And the big reason why this matters is because, functionally speaking, an NBA team needs to be competitive for 48 minutes a game, especially in the playoffs, but really overall. And that actually gets into one of the biggest issues that the Warriors had during Coach Kerr's first year with the team in 2014-15 was that an all-bench unit was disastrous by and large, and it was that game when Klay Thompson missed it, and they were in Phoenix, and I can't remember, honestly, whether they lost that game or whether they narrowly won it, but the bench blew it apart, and that is a, a big problem, and so realistically, you can't go to a to a replacement system, so a bench mob, if the bench mob is bad, because you're not going to be able to make it work, and you're going to have to, you know, infuse it with some starters, infuse it with some good players, and there are various teams around the league that have been completely sabotaged by that second unit quality, even at a single position, but it can be all over the place. Detroit last year, after they traded Brandon Jennings, had no backup point guard, and so they were playing these lineups. I coined the term the B&B losing factory because of Aaron Baines and former warrior Steve Blake, because when they played together, the, the defense just could handle them because there wasn't anything they could do to really challenge the opponent. And so those lineups hemorrhaged points while the Detroit starters actually did pretty well. So the Warriors fans can attest to that at various moments over the last 10 years of having a really bad second unit. So those times necessitate as well. You also can get situations where the starters or the backups just don't have great it going back to chemistry where things just don't work as separate units and so you want to kind of mix and mix and match it and that idea of quality is also why you sometimes get weird rotations in terms of when guys are pulled out and when they're put back in is because they need to provide something specific to that second unit and there, that said, though, I, I've been an advocate more than almost anybody in recent time for the idea of not necessarily sacrificing the best lineups to uh, to satisfy to deal with the worst lineups, and that is a fundamental problem that some teams have to deal with. You know that if your if your back lineup is unusable, unplayable, then you're going to have to do it because what, one of the aspects for the Warriors before Curry got hurt in the playoffs was the question of were they going to stagger Steph and Clay because those guys play really well together, and so was it worth it to sacrifice the ceiling of five fewer minutes with the with the best guys? You know. 
with, if you want to use the death lineup or any of the other ones, was it worth it to sacrifice that for slightly better production from the bench units? And I believe that the answer to that is no, but it really does depend on the team, depend on the circumstance. And this year with Kevin Durant, that will be meaningfully different. And it is also a major goal of the regular season to figure that out because if the Warriors are okay with, even in a high-profile series, if they can pull off four or five minutes per half with a non-starter unit or a different kind of group, then they could go to some really ambitious things like 30 minutes of the, of the death stroke lineup, or they could go to 25 minutes and maybe 30, maybe another 10 to 15 of an analog, you know, something really similar to that. Because the more you can play those starters together after they built up a full season of chemistry, the better off you're going to be, especially when those lineups look like they're going to be impossible to defend and if everybody plays up to their potential could be elite defensively as well so you see a feedback loop there in terms of the offense fueling the defense and vice versa so keeping that together keeping that kind of continuity is very important if they can do it but that can only be sustained if the lineups without those guys can do it and so why that matters in terms of the playoffs is that while you are playing your starters more minutes there are some really high leverage spots where you aren't doing it and had depending on how the other teams have structured their lineups going to an all bench lineup might be putting players like Sean Livingston and Ian Clark against the team playing some starters or in the case of the San Antonio Spurs playing against bench players who should probably start like Patty Mills so those are really big questions that that need to be asked and need to be answered and part of the fun of watching a team using this lens is that you're always getting new information to figure out how it's going to work and was also a big part of why I was so excited to see some of those bench-heavy lineups that were including Kevin Durant in the early going because that's giving you information that, that can be used for future time. So that lineup of Livingston, Ian Clark, Kevin Durant, Andre Godala, and in one case David West, in one case JaVale McGee, that is a very important thing because if the, that group is good enough to keep their head above water or even thrive, I think they should be able to dominate second units, then they can use Stephen Curry differently, they can use Clay Thompson differently, they can use Draymond Green differently and still be really, really good. And if they, those don't work, then they have to change things around, try something else, go to a, a different idea. And th- it's something that is also very important in the preseason, even though it isn't definitive, just to see how these things fit together. And part of the fun of following any NBA team closely, but especially one that you're invested in, is the idea that these things do matter. And they absolutely do in this case, because the Warriors are looking to win a championship. And also that the idea of rotation versus replacement, while it is often thought of as being a construct for the bench, it's also all true with the starters. Oklahoma City had to go to that sort of a thing because there wasn't perfect chemistry among their starters. Manifested itself most notably at the end of Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals. Those kinds of issues on, on those three tracks of chemistry, equity, and quality can sabotage a team. They can make a team great. I always think back to the, those really awesome Sacramento Kings teams with Weber and Peja. Some of those some of those squads had really awesome bench units that helped them out, that stood out in, in different ways. And the other reason why it's fun is because the dynamics are changing constantly. Patrick McCall might be a really good example of this. Andre Guadala has been one over the last couple of years, is that Sometimes players 
make their way into or out of those groups depending on how how well they do or something like an injury and that means that it is a constantly evolving process and something that is that is worth following and so will Patrick McCall work his way into that or and can he become more can he become something that a guy that you have to think about in another way and teams all around the league are dealing with this either in a positive or a negative way when somebody falls off the board and all of a sudden you have to get a different bench player or how you have to fit this in one that will affect the Warriors even though it's not on their team is the Spurs will they get better chemistry sometimes with Dwayne Dedman on the floor because he plays be- he plays a different kind of defense than Pau Gasol could Pau be a really good offensive linchpin for their second unit so these might not appear to be sexy questions, but at the same time, it can be some of the best ways of explaining how everything works in the league. And so that's why it's something to follow at this point and moving forward. And another gigantic team to understand and appreciate how well the Warriors have figured this out is the Clippers, because Doc Rivers, for all of his credit as a coach and as a GM in terms of finding, you know, minimum level talent, because he's done an amazing job with that, Brandon Bass, Mo Spates, Ray Felton this year, is that he has never been willing to separate Chris Paul and Blake Griffin other than what happened due to injury. And this goes back to the idea that was discussed earlier in terms of Durant and Westbrook, where they both, to a degree, benefited a little bit from having a little, having some free time and having full control over the offense as opposed to trading off or going with a hot hand. And Chris Paul is a spectacular player. He's one of the best point guards in the league, one of the best point guards of all time. Blake Griffin's biggest strength offensively at this point in his career, different than when he used to ruin people by dunking on them all the time and everything else, is he's a shockingly good playmaker for his position. And so unlike Draymond Green, talked about the chemistry between Draymond and Steph earlier, it doesn't work the same way for for Chris and Blake because Blake doesn't have the range on his jump shot, so he doesn't create as much space offensively. And while Chris Paul is a spectacular player, he isn't the threat to shoot off the dribble that Steph is, so you don't have to defend them the same way. So a stagger in that case would allow Blake more creative freedom and to really run the offense through it. And the other reason why it's so egregious is that by and large, the Clippers have had bad point guards in terms of creating offense in a team concept. Jamal Crawford is great at getting points for himself, but he's not particularly strong at creating for others or running an offense. Austin Rivers is better off ball than on ball. And so they actually have the tools to make this really work and they haven't. And so the more they stick to what they've done and don't branch out into this thing that might really work, the better it is for the Warriors because they're the Clippers are losing out on something that could make them special and make them really hard to deal with around the league. So keep an eye on that in Tuesday's game to see whether they give any minutes to we'll see how much they beat any one of them plays, but see whether they give Blake any run without Chris Paul on the floor and really whether they let him run the offense or whether Doc's kid is going to have a lot of control over it. So I'm not really going to do as many of these monologue type things unless there's a really strong personal response, but this one I wanted to do as a way of setting the table for the preseason and a way of thinking about everything that's going on, especially on a team that doesn't have many questions in terms of roster spots. So if you liked it, great. If you didn't, that's also fine. But let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. You could also email MBA at gmail.com. It's important to get that just to see what you guys like. I'm going to try to do 
a mailbag of sorts at some point. The difference for the rest of this week is that the Warriors play two games. They play Tuesday, they play Thursday, so that will monopolize two podcasts. I'll have one in the middle, so if I find somebody who wants to be the guest in that day, then I probably won't do a mailbag this week, but I definitely plan on doing one next week if I haven't already done one, and then also incorporating a few questions into other podcasts. So, you know, when we get into a a topic and maybe it's a five minute question and those won't necessarily be just solo me answering a question. It could be someone else alongside and we'll figure that out. It'll depend on availability and what that person wants to do. But the other part of that, um, so feedback is great to come in whatever direction, but if you have a specific question, I've gotten some great ones already, try to get those to the email because then I can keep them in my inbox and see it that way. Because with Twitter, even if you favorite or I think it's liking now, something, it doesn't stay as present. But with an email, I can make sure that I I have an eye on it, but I will create some sort of permanent document so I can keep all of those in terms of notes. And even if you think it's something basic, something, a term you want explained or anything like that, whatever it is, let me know because that will help make it better. And by and large, if there's a question that you have, there are other people that have the same question that either are scared to ask or don't want to, don't have the time or won't take the time to do it. So I really do appreciate all of that. And it helps make the show better in so many, many, many different ways and gotten some interesting stuff on medical and fits and all, all of that kind of stuff. And fortunately I haven't gotten as much on the contract things, but I am trying to look to settle that in a little bit. And also for those of you who missed it, The very first episode of Locked on Warriors is about that topic as well. Thank you so much to everybody who has already supported the show. It really means a lot. I'm recording this on the three-week anniversary of the launch of the show, and we're getting close to 50,000 listens as a podcast, which is insane as somebody who started out with the show that was, you know, getting far fewer than that, and it was weekly. So I hope that it has become a positive part of your day and that you are enjoying it. And if you are, make sure that you subscribe on whatever player you use, download every episode because that really helps, write a rating, write a review, especially great in iTunes because that is a, a way that it affects their metrics and affects suggestions, so in that way it really does help. But whatever you use, it always helps. It really does. And if you are enjoying it and you know of other people that you think would as well, share it with them, whether that be in person, through an email, or anything like that. I've heard some nice stories about that already. Heard some nice things uh, through some of my friends telling me on Reddit. I haven't been as active on Reddit the last couple weeks because I've been busy, but I really do appreciate that as well. And for those of you who are who are interested in my writing, had the piece on my on my thoughts on the Raptors Warriors game that came out on the Athletic had a piece come out on the designated player exception, which the Warriors, astonishingly enough, never really had to deal with. But that's a part of the CBA encyclopedia on Real GM, and then. I'm going to have some other stuff. I have a sporting news piece that is coming out in the next day or two. And Western Conference over-unders with Nate Duncan for Dunked On just came out. And Western Conference over-unders for Real Jam Radio will come out probably Tuesday. So I just need to get it edited. But depending on when I leave for Oracle tomorrow, it will be there at that point. So that's a long-winded way of saying thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.